Sorry about that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, hey, <laughs> good morning, church. Uh, really, really good to be here with you this Sunday. If you're new, joining us uh, online or in person, welcome. My name is Eric, one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege of giving you God's word today. Um, uh, let me push this up. My, the tech person's waving at me like a... <laughs> All right, uh, let's try that again. Um, well, just welcome. You know, we just got out of a series called It's On My Heart. We had a bunch of guest speakers come out. We're starting today a new series, three weeks, a, a vision series called The Year Of. And each week, we're going to tackle a different theme or topic on what this year is going to be for us as New Life Fellowship. And so this sermon is going to be entitled The Year Of New. There's a lot of new things coming down the, the pike for us, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about those things, all right? Um, during the It's On My Heart series, I had the privilege of preaching a few times during that series, and uh, during that time, I preached two sermons on blind individuals, blind people receiving their sight, and one of the reasons why I did that was strategic. I wanted to tell you that, look, Jesus Christ wants us as a church to have vision, he wants to heal the blind. He wants to give us sight because the people without vision are a people who perish. This is what the scriptures tell us. If we don't have vision, if we don't have sight, if we're not being guided by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we will ultimately perish as a church. And so we really want to inject and infuse vision into this church as well. So with that said, go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43 today, uh, verses 16 to 25, a very famous passage uh, in the book of Isaiah. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have that version on your tablets or your phones or your Bibles, uh, please whip that out. If not, it'll be on the screen here for you. But again, that's Isaiah 43, 16 to 25. Excuse me. Uh, and then if at this time, if you're able to, would you rise as we read God's word uh, together? Isaiah 43, 16 to 25. This is the reading of God's word. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then I'll seat you. Our Lord, Father, we thank you for this word. God, we pray that you would speak through my mouth and that you would allow us to hear, to see, to perceive, to understand, and to turn towards you, Jesus. God, we pray that all of this would be worshiped to you and glorifying in your sight. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right. As normal, we have three points. The first point is the former things. Uh, the second point will be the new things. And then the last point will be the Jesus things, okay? Uh, so the former, the new, and then Jesus, all right? Uh, so I don't normally ask a question that requires a response, but this morning I wanted to. How many of you have actually ever done this thing where you 
are walking in one direction, uh, but you're looking back and then you happen to run into the thing that's in front of you. How many of you have done that before? Come on, yeah. All right. Most of you should be raising your hand. I've done it a thousand times, all right? Uh, my son, Josiah, in particular, he does this quite frequently. Uh, we have a kitchen countertop uh, that his head has smashed into at least a hundred times. He's at least lost a million brain cells to that countertop. And the reason why is because when he was little, he was short enough where he could pass through that without touching it. Uh, but now as he's grown over the years, uh, he will walk and he'll look at me while he's walking and then he'll hit right at the top of the countertop. And I always told Josiah this, my oldest, I said, Josiah, look forward. Stop looking back. Look forward. And I, this really uh, recalled to mind what my dad would say to me because I did this as a child. I would walk looking back, walking forward, and my dad would always tell me, Eric, turn around, look forward. Stop looking backwards. What are you looking at? And in the same way, I think this is what Jesus is telling us today through this passage. He's telling us, hey, if you want vision, if you want sight, stop looking back. Don't look at the past. Look at the future. Look forward. Turn your necks. Turn your heads forward. Uh, look with me at verse 18 here, right? And then the first part of verse 19, he says this. This is God speaking to the Israelites. He says, remember not. Underline that. Forget. Don't remember. Remember not what? The former things. The things of the past, nor consider the things of old. Don't think about the past. He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Look ahead. Don't look behind. Did you know that we worship a God who enjoys doing new things? Uh, look, just some uh, Bible verses for you, right? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a New creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. God enjoys doing new things. Uh, Ephesians 4, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God wants to do new things. And he actually receives pleasure and joy from doing new things in your life. Did you know that God wants to take your old heart and he wants to give you a new heart? Did you know that he wants to take away your old emotions like depression, anxiety, these types of things, and he wants to give you a new heart, like joy and peace? Did you know that God wants to take your old ways like addiction, bitterness, and, gives you, and give you things like freedom and generosity? Here's the thing, though, right? God wants to do something new in your life right now, but you are missing it, church. You're missing it. And the reason why you miss it is because you're walking like this. You're walking back, and you're walking forward. You're looking back, but you're walking forward. God says, remember not, forget the former things, forget the past, don't look back, look forward. This is what Isaiah is getting at. Look, some of you, God wants to give you a new freedom and joy and peace. He wants to grow you in your faith, and yet you have a toxic relationship in your life. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe you have toxic friends, and God is like, hey, let them go. Like, stop thinking about the past, all the good times you've had. I know you had good times with them, but let them go. Get out of those relationships because I have something new for you ahead. You've got to let those things go. Maybe for some of you, it's a toxic work environment. Man, you are being worked as a slave and you are just being driven to the ground. Your manager might be horrible. Your teammates might be discouraging. And you are just withering away, but the pay is so good. And you look at the past of all the paychecks you got, you're like, I can't let that go. And God is saying, look, I have something new ahead for you. Stop looking in the back. Look, whenever we talk about forgetting the past, one of the things that I think comes to my mind is this, right? We think about, okay, let's forget the painful things of the past. Shame, guilt, right? All the sins that we've committed. And yet that's not what Isaiah talks about here. 
this is the craziest part. If you have not heard anything yet, listen to this part, because this part to me is the most incredible part of this passage. God does not say, forget the painful things. He doesn't say, forget shame and guilt, right? Because we naturally do that as humans, right? Whoever says, oh, I long for the days where I was in poverty, no one says that. No one ever says, oh, I long for the days where, you know, uh, I was dealing with addiction and bitterness, right? No one longs for those days. Look what he says to forget. Verses 16 and 17, God tells us this is what we should forget. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do you know what he's talking about here? When was it a time in the Bible when God split the mighty waters? When was it a time when God brought forth chariots and horse and army and warrior into this water and then he brought the waters down on them so that they could not rise so that they were... When was that? That was the exodus, right? When they were, he was saving them from the land of Egypt as slaves, right? He brought them out through the Red Sea. He's saying, Israel, forget about that time. Wait, what? God, forget? You, but God, you always say, remember that. But let me get, just give you a quick verse, Deuteronomy 5.15. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So which one is it, God? Forget or remember? What are you trying to tell us here? And here's what God is getting at. God is saying this, look, I know I worked a great and mighty act in the Exodus to save you. But if you keep looking at that salvation act, you're going to miss out on the new thing that I have. Because I'm going to save you in a new way, a brand new way. But if you think I'm going to save you like the old way, you're going to miss out on the new thing. You're going to not see what I'm actually doing here. So forget about the exodus. Look, did you know that there was a time in the church's history where hymns were actually scandalous? Do you know that? You know what I'm talking about? Hymns like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, right? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. Pastor Kenny's not the only one who can sing. I can sing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, these hymns, these old hymns, right, they were scandalous at some point. And the reason why is because all the Christians early on, they were like, the only book that you can sing songs from is the book of Psalms. So they would take the Psalms and they would sing to the Psalms. And then one day, this guy named William Wilberforce and Horatio Spafford, these guys came along and they were like, these young, hip, cool, modern guys came along in, in whatever, the 14th century, and they said, we're going to write these things called hymns. And the people who were singing the psalms were like, no, you can't sing the hymns. How dare you sing the hymns? you got to sing from the Bible. And they were like, no, we think God is doing a new thing. He's going to bless people in a new way, and so we're going to write these hymns, these blessed hymns. And so for hundreds of generations, the church sang hymns. And then finally, there was this guy named Chris Tomlin and David Crowder. They came onto the scene. And the people who were singing hymns were like, hey, what are you guys doing there? you got to sing the hymns. You, what are you, David Crowder, doing with your strange beard and your long hair? You look like a homeless person. You know, put on right clothes, sing a hymn. Come on. And God was doing a new thing then, but the people looked at the old thing. They missed out on what God was doing new. And the people like me who grew up with David Crowder, we looked at Hillsong and Bethel and Elevation. We're like, what are you guys doing? Well, you, gotta, you guys got to sing David Crowder and Chris Tomlin. What are you guys thinking about here? God is doing a new thing, and it's always the old generation that misses out on the new thing. God is constantly wanting to work in new ways, and yet we miss it because we're so fixated on the past. For each and every single one of you, especially if you call yourself a Christian here today, there was some heyday moment in your Christian faith life. 
where God worked powerfully. And one of the things that you're looking to do at this church is to recreate that wonderful experience that God had for you that, back then. Right, so many of you here are moving in from out of town. You guys came in from different states. You're working at Amazon or Microsoft or whatever, right? All of you, right? You're moving in, and one of the things that you want from New Life Fellowship is to recreate your old church setting. You know, maybe you grew a lot during college years where there was good community. Maybe you grew a lot during young adults years or whatever, family years, what, what have you, a particular ministry at your old church, and you come to New Life Fellowship, and you're saying, New Life Fellowship, I want you to recreate my experience so that I could be blessed again. And we're saying God is doing a new thing. Some of you here grew up at New Life Fellowship. You grew up at this church. And you, you have a heyday moment. You're like, oh, Lord, I remember when this program existed, and I grew so much because of this program. God, I wish we would do that again. Would you recreate that setting for me? And God is like, no, we're doing a new thing here. See, in the Israelite community at this time, if you could understand them, right, they are living in a foreign land. They are living in captivity. They are slaves just like they were in Egypt. They were living in a foreign land and as slaves. And so they wanted God to recreate the salvation back then. This is what's happening in our passage. They're in Babylon. They're slaves. And they're like, God, do it again. And God's like, mm -mm, I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to bring streams into the desert. I'm going to bring new life, but not in the way you think it's going to happen. And so don't miss it by looking at the past. Look, this passage is ultimately talking about Christ. This is what's happening here. You see, the Israelites wanted God to conquer their political enemies just as he did in the Exodus. The Israelites wanted God to establish a temple and a law just as he did in the book of Exodus. He established a tabernacle and laws, right? And they were looking for a Messiah who would come and do those things. And yet when Jesus Christ came, they missed him. Why? Because he was new. God was doing a new thing. Instead of a you know, being a political conqueror, he came and he died on a cross, he hung on a tree on a Roman cross, and he defeated the powers and the principalities in the spiritual realm. Right? The Israelites were looking for a physical temple to be restored, but Christ gave us his body. And because of his body hung on a cross, we are now temples of the Holy Spirit. The Israelites were looking for law to be reestablished, and yet Christ fulfilled the law. And because of that, now it's written on our hearts. They missed out on the salvation that God had for them because they were looking God to do the old thing, not the new thing. God wants to do something new, but if we cling to the past, we're going to miss it. There are so many of you here right now in your own lives, you're clinging on to the past, onto the comforts of the past, and God is saying, look, you got to let it go. you got to forget about it because I'm going to do a new thing in your life. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I actually attended this church here, New Life Fellowship. Um, I moved away for 10 years to California, but when I was here in college, I served in our kids' ministry. And I loved our kids' ministry. I wanted to die as a children's pastor. That's all I wanted to do. And yet, in 2009, I felt God saying to me, Eric, I want you to move away to Southern California. I need you to move away. I need you to attend seminary. And at first, I was like, no, 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 no God. No, I'm going to stay right here. And God was like, nope, I'm going to tell you to move to Southern California. I'm going to tell you to move, 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 move. And I said, no, 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 no. And then finally, God had to like pull me out and rip me out of this place. And I still remember when I was selling all of my stuff, I was packing up my little 2007 Nissan Versa. I literally packed all the stuff I owned into this little car, and I drove all the way down from uh, Seattle all the way down to Southern California. And all throughout the way, I, I was just crying all throughout Oregon. The whole way of Oregon, I just wept tears because I was so sad leaving this place. I did not want to go. In fact, I remember 
parking my car once at a gas station and thinking, man, if somebody stole my car right now, uh, I would lose everything in my life. What are you doing to me, God? And yet, God had a new thing for me. Even though I moved away, even though that's not what I wanted, God had a new experience, new thing waiting for me. He had new ministries, new churches, new opportunities for me. And through those 10 years or so, he shaped me in Southern California. He brought me new pastors, new mentors, new communities, new things in life so that it could shape me to become a better worshiper, follower, and disciple of him. And then I didn't even know that God would bring me back here 10 years later. I had no idea. And yet now that I look back 2019 to 2009, I look back and I see God's hand all along the way. I was like, God, you were doing a new thing in my life. I did not see it at the time, but now that I look back, I see clearly you were doing a new thing. God wanted me here all along, and yet he needed to take me around a different path. So let's move on to our second point, the new thing. The new thing. So, Eric, you know, if, uh, you know, especially for those of you who are cynical in this place, you're probably thinking, this just seems like a really big intro, Eric, to something that you want to do new at the church. So what is it? What do you want to do that's new, huh? You're just trying to convince me to do something new. And of course, there are some new things, and I'll explain them in this point in a few moments. But here, here's something, right? Look, we don't want to do new things for the sake of new things. That's not the point of this passage, the reason why we do new things is not for the sake of doing new things. Look at what all the new things are pointed to, okay? It's found in this passage here. Verse 19, behold, God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it, okay? He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In other words, I'm going to bring new life everywhere that I go. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, again, that river of life, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. And look at verse 21 here. Verse 21 is what I want you to really, really focus in on. The people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. Do you see what he's saying? I'm going to bring new life, new rivers, new things into this dry place. Why? Because I want the jackals, I want the wild beasts to honor me. I want you to praise me. I want you to worship me. You see, from the beginning of time, although God has worked in new ways throughout history, God's unchanging, stable, and constant mission has been the same. From Genesis to Revelation, God has done the same. His mission has been absolutely the same. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the mission of God. I'll tell it to you very simply. God's mission is to get more worshipers. That's it. He wants more and more people to come into this place. Why? Because we were made to worship. When you come in here and you worship and you sing out to God, the reason why you relieve your stress, the reason why it is so freeing for you is because you are doing what you were designed to do. You were not designed to build bigger barns. Do you know that? You were not designed to make more money. You were not designed to do those things. You were designed to worship and glorify God. And God says, that's all I want. I want more and more people worshiping me because that's what you were made to do. And when you're worshiping me, I'm telling you, this is when you're the freest. God wants more and more worshipers. And that's the mission of God. That's the mission he gave to this church and to every church across space and time. And so yes, God will use the Exodus to get more worshipers for him. God will use evil judges like Samson Right, to get more worshipers for him. God will use a prostitute named Rahab to get more worshipers for him. God will use a donkey and a guy named Balaam to get more worshipers for him. God used a trumpet and an army marching around the wall to get more worshipers for him. God used prophets. God used kings. God used pastors. God has used Jesus Christ dying on a cross for us 
to, to get more worshipers for him. His mission has been the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so, yes, we will do new things. But these new things are not just for the sake of him. It's because we want to expand the kingdom of God, because we have a mission as a church. And so he, let me put it like this. This is how one pastor puts it. He says we are married to the mission of God, not to the methodologies. Right? We're married to the mission, not to the methods. This is why we don't play the organ anymore. You know what I'm talking about? The organ? Right? There was a time where people thought the only way you could worship God is through an organ. And that literally people believe that. But we're not married to the organ. We don't care about the organ. We care about Jesus and his mission. Whatever method it takes to reach people for Christ, we will do it. As long as we're not changing what is said in here, as long as we're not sinning in the process, we will do anything. So now let's get to what will change this year. What are some of the new things that are on the horizon, okay? Now mind you, everything new is connected to this mission. Everything new that we're doing here is connected to us being married to the mission, not to the methods, okay? Here's the first thing you'll see this year. New Life Fellowship will be chartering starting in, sep in September, ending in February or March of 2022. Now what the heck does chartering mean, okay? This is legal language in our denomination that means this, we will become an official recognized church by our denomination. Currently, especially if you're new here, you have to understand our church context. We are a ministry under a church across the street from us called the Community Church of Seattle. They are a Korean-speaking, Korean-language church. They started this ministry years and years and years ago because they had English-speaking children that needed to worship Jesus. And so this is who we are. We are still a ministry underneath this. We are not a church. We don't have our own formal bylaws. We don't have our own formal structure. We are simply a ministry, and yet God is doing something new in our midst. God wants us to charter out. I met with our, uh, our Korean ministry lead pastor several months ago, and I did, not even, I did not even bring up this topic to him. And one day he comes and he asks me, hey, Eric, when are you guys going to charter? And I said, what do you mean, when are we going to charter? I was like, well, you know, we've been kind of thinking about it. Maybe two or three years from now, we'll do it. And he's like, Eric, do it now. And I was like, what? I was like, he's like, yeah, this September, I'm going to announce to our Korean ministry that you guys are going to charter out. And I was, like, I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, sure, we'll charter like, we'll do that. Uh, I did not persuade him. I did not convince him. I did not try to talk him into it. This was given to us by God. I did not try for this. This is something God placed on us and said, hey, we want you to charter. And I saw that and I said, this is what God wants from us this year. He wants us to move out as a church, to, to charter out. We will still have a sister relationship with our Korean ministry partners. We will still support them. We will still be a part of the same denomination. We will still work in unity to support one another. In fact, day-to-day, -day, operationally, not a lot will change here. We will still be in this building. But we will officially become a recognized church from our denomination. And the reason why this is important, friends, is because this, our future vision is to plant sites, campuses, and then churches. There are so many people moving into Seattle. We have to reach them for Jesus. You know, this, just this um, uh, year, I read an uh, article by the Seattle Times where they, they declared in this article that Seattle is the fastest growing city in the nation right now. And the way they talked about this, they said this, look, during the pandemic, all the major cities of our nation, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Chicago, these cities shrank during the pandemic. And some of you guys know why, right? Because you moved back home. So San Antonio, uh, you know, uh, uh, Glendale, Arizona, these cities were growing in the south. All the major cities started shrinking except for one. And guess what that city was? Seattle. Seattle grew by almost a percent of its population. 
And then they said over the last 10 years, Seattle has been the fastest growing city over the last decade. And you know, man, if you guys have moved here from out of town, you know it is so hard to find housing right now, is it not? Just to find a building to live in. Why? Because there's so many people moving in. There's not enough roads. And guess what? There's not enough churches. People think there's enough churches. There's, there's not enough churches. There's not enough churches. And we have to get to Seattle. And the way we're going to do this is not by being a ministry that plants churches. How can we do that? We have to be a church that plants other churches. We have to be a church that plants sites, campuses, and etc. So this is why, friends, because we want to expand the kingdom of God, because we want to include more worshipers, we ourselves have to charter out as our own church. We've got to put on our big boy pants and they'll become our official own church. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. This is smaller, okay? New Life Fellowship is changing its worship times and starting, uh, starting an additional service. So we're changing our times and adding an additional service, okay? This is next week, by the way, okay? Next week, we have 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and then 12 p.m. And the reason why we're doing this again is because we want to create more room, more seats. In a post-COVID world, we cannot slam this sanctuary with 200 people. We used to do it. Pre-pandemic, we used to slam 200 people into this room, shoulder to shoulder, but we can't do that anymore. We got to make new room for new worshipers. And so this is the reason why we're adding this. It's, it's a lot more taxing for me, for our staff, and for our elders, for it for all of our volunteers, but we all know that this is connected to the mission of God, and so we want to do this. Here's the third and final thing, okay? New Life Fellowship is going to be starting a youth ministry. New Life Fellowship will be starting a youth ministry, okay? Now, notice that I didn't say we're going to start a youth service, but a youth ministry, okay? And this youth ministry is a new thing. And here's the reason why, okay? We are still going to support our Korean ministry partners with their youth ministry called Next. We are still going to send volunteers. I still want to have their pastor come over here and tell you about how you can serve in their ministry. We still want to support them 100% because we are a sister church. We support that unity, okay? But when it comes to our context, we need to start a youth ministry to begin discipling the students right here at home. And so if you're a parent and you want to send your students to Next, we bless it 100% because we support the ministry. But in another sense, we feel like God is doing a new thing in our midst, let me share with you this quick statistic, okay? Kara Powell, she's a researcher at Fuller, which is a seminary I graduated from. She's one of the few people actually doing youth research right now. Do you know what she found in her research? It's so heartbreaking. If you're a Christian and you love Jesus, this should break your heart. 50% of youth students do not know Christ after they graduate high school. They leave the church. 50%, that means you cut the youth ministry in half, you split them, you put an X on one side, and all of them are going away. And this broke Carapal's heart. This, this broke my heart when I heard that. I cannot believe that 50% of our youth ministry will never know the love of Christ. And she, she, she researched the, the heck out of this because she was like, I got to find out how we can do new things to address the new youth students of our day. Because God is maybe doing something new here. Maybe he's showing us this thing because he wants us to do something new. And when she did her research, what she found was really, really striking. She didn't find the silver bullet to cure this, but what she found was what she called silver shavings, four silver shavings. And let me share them with you right now. And you can find this in her book uh, called um, uh, a Sticky Faith, okay? And she says this, right? First of all, youth ministries tend to be works-based, not grace-based. You see, in youth ministry, what usually happens is parents drop their kids off. They tell the youth pastor, make my kids good, bye-bye. And what she found when she was researching this, she said when she interviewed uh, all these high school graduating seniors, she asked them one question. What 
does it mean to be a Christian? And guess what one-third of these high school seniors answered? One-third of them did not mention the name of Jesus. They said, loving your neighbors, being generous, which is great. Of course, that's a part of Christianity. I'm not knocking on that. But no one knew the love of Christ. No one knew Christ. And she was perplexed by this. And what she found was that these youth ministries usually try to drive in works righteousness. Hey, get good grades. Be good to your parents. Don't be a bully. Right? Do these behaviors and then you're a Christian. And so that's what the kids learned. But they were not told, hey, come as you are. Come with all of your junk. Come with all of your brokenness. Come with all of your addictions, your depression, your anxiety. Come as you are. Because Jesus Christ doesn't want your works. He wants you. And when these kids show up and in a grace-based ministry and they come as they are, she says they're free. And this is what Christianity does for us, does it not? It frees us. It gives us joy. And from that joy, from that relationship with Christ, then, of course, the good behaviors roll out. Then the stuff of forgiveness and kindness and gentleness, but it's grace-based first. Here's a second thing she observed. She said a lot of youth ministries were not a safe space for teenagers to doubt. And she said a lot of times when kids would come in with doubt, they would be shut down by their parents, by their youth leaders. And the reason why is because the youth leaders and the parents didn't want to hear the doubts because it made them doubt. And she said, you know what, if you just allow youth students to just express their doubts, like I know, I know it makes you afraid, I know it doesn't, but she said if you just give them a safe space to doubt, guess what, their faith will actually thrive. Don't squash their doubts, allow them to express it. Here's the third thing she found, intergenerational ministry. This is why we're not going to start a separate youth service. We're going to have our youth students worship right here with us. And here's what she found. When she studied students who actually stayed in church after high school, what she found is most of them were surrounded by five intergenerational relationships or more. A college student, a, a, a young adult, an, an older grandma, grandpa, a, a father, a mother, right? These people were surrounding them. They had these relationships, and because of them, it protected their faith. And yet what we've done in the past is we've segregated youth worship from adult worship because, but look, we're, we're a new church now. We have a different position. We are all English speaking here. We don't need to segregate anymore. We can all worship together. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship together. And guess what? We're going to even have our youth students serve in the ministry. Because this is how you build relationships, is when you serve. So we want our kids, our youth students, serving in worship team. I apologize. There might be some weeks where the base is bad, okay? But that's okay. We want them to serve, right? We're going to have them take temperatures at the door and welcome people. We want them to serve in our kids' ministry. We want them to do all sorts of things. We want them to do AV, tech, all this stuff, right? Serve alongside other adults. We need intergenerational ministry. And here's the final thing that she noticed is it's parent-focused. It's not drop off your kids, teach my kids. It's no, 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 hey parents, here's what you need to do at home to reinforce this. What she found is that students who thrived in their faith had parents who loved their kids and really focused in on rearing them in Christ. It's not parents who preached at them only, but they lived out their faith. It's actually parents who didn't just ask, hey, what's, what's Jesus doing in your life? It was parents who shared, hey, you know what, this is what Christ is doing in my life too. They literally shared their faith with their kids. And this is what we want to focus on when we start our youth ministry. God is doing new things, friends. And we have to adapt. We have to change. Why? Because the mission is the same. And if we're not reaching people for Christ, then we've got to change our methodology. If we're, if we're allowing 50% of our students to go away with no faith, friends, we, let's try new things. I don't know. I don't know if this is the right way, to be honest with you. Let's just be creative. Let's just try new things, though. And if we reach more students for Jesus, we'll praise God, right? 
Let's not be married to the old ways. Let's be, be, let's be married to the mission. I get really worked up. Sorry about that. <laughs> let's move on to our third and final point, a Jesus thing, okay? Look, some of you are like, amen, let's start these new things. And some of you love new things, okay? But some of you like new things because uh, you actually are running away from something, okay? And this is not what I'm talking about, okay? Some of you uh, want God to do a new thing in your life because you want God to give you a new circumstance, not a new heart. You see that? Like some of you, man, you know what? You're, you're like, oh yeah, like uh, all these friends, like I'm so bitter and angry at them and like, yeah, I'm gonna leave them and God's gonna do a new thing. But no, 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 God might be saying, hey, actually uh, you need to work this out here. And the new thing that I'm doing is actually giving you a new heart so that you can forgive this friend group. You see that? It's not always just go get a new thing, right? Sometimes God wants you to work things out in your life as they are. And so I'm not saying God wants to give you new circumstances all the time. What I'm saying is this. God wants to give you a new heart. That's the thing that God wants to do. You have an old heart. You have a stone-cold heart. You have a, 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 maybe a rotten heart. And God wants to replace it with a fresh one, a new one, a one that's glimmering and glowing and shining brightly and brilliantly. God doesn't want you to run away from your problems. God wants you to give you a new heart. And so let me summarize what God is saying in this passage, all right? God is saying, look, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to work a new salvation. Uh, I'm going to work a vision for you that's so big and so great that I want you to forget the former things because this thing is so great and big. And then look at what he says in verse 22. He says, yet, yet, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me. See, we want God to do something new in our life, but we just want the circumstance. We don't want God to actually change us. See, God is saying this. Look, you want me to do something new in your life, but you know what's really at the end of the day? You have not called upon me. You don't actually want me in your hearts. In fact, you think of me as a burden. You think of me as being weary. Like, you come to church, and you're like, oh, I got to come to church so burdensome, Lord. Why do I got to do this? Oh, devotions, oh, reading my Bible, praying. Oh, it's so oppressive, Lord. Why? All oh, these commandments, so oppressive, Lord. Oh, and God is like, you, you're calling me burdensome? Look at what God goes on to say. He says, look, you think I'm a burden? He says, but you, verse, uh, verse 22, 23 here, he says, but you, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. Oh, I apologize, sorry. He says, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. God is saying, you think I'm a burden to you? You've been a burden to me. You think I burden you? I'm giving you life and holiness and justice and peace and all these. I'm a burden? I'm sorry. You're the burden, God says. We're the burden. You come to me with your sins. You don't come to me with worship or offerings or, or your lives. You come to me with your sins and you say I'm the burden? God says, look, I want to do something new in your life. I want to do something new in your heart. And yet all you have to do is call upon me, actually desire me, actually want me in your life. And Jesus says, look, he says, if you, I'm knocking at the door of your hearts, and if you just open up the door, I'll come in. And for so many of us, we don't want Jesus. We want the new circumstance. We want the shiny new car. We don't want Christ in our hearts. And Christ says, no, no, no. If you want me to do something new, I'm going to go into your hearts, and I'm going to do something new there. That's what I want. I want your whole life. I want your whole worship. And look at what God says at the very end of this in verse 25. He says, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Amen. 
even though we burden God with our sins, he says, I forgive you. I blot out your transgressions. And we know ultimately he's talking about Christ here. That Christ would be the one who would shoulder the burden of our sins. On the cross when he was dying for us, he took the burdens of all of our sins, all of our cares, all of our guilt, and all of our shame. And as he hung there on the cross, he took it for you and me. He took on our burdens that God felt for us. He who was without sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, friends. God says, look, I know you've been a burden to me, but here's forgiveness. Here's grace. Here's love. Here's hope. Look, I know you've been neglecting me. I know that you haven't been calling on me, but now, look, here's new life. I bring streams of river into dry places. I bring new life everywhere that I go. Look, here's hope once again. Let me do the work for you. Let me die on a cross. Let me shoulder your sins so you can start again and come to me and call to me, church. Look, if you're here today and you've been far away from God, maybe this is your first time worshiping with us in a long, long time. Maybe you're tuning in online and this is the first worship service you've been to in a long, long time. I want to welcome you back. And Maybe today this is a new thing that God wants. God is just saying, call on me. You haven't called on me in a long, long time, friend. And I'm waiting to hear from you. I want to forgive you of your sins. I want to give you my grace, my love and compassion. All you have to do is call on me. For some of you in here, man, you know what? Like, you're, you're maybe not a Christian. You're seeking Christ, and we're so glad that you're here today. And Christ says the same invitation to you. Look, you've been following your own paths, your own ways. You've been doing things however you want to do them. And guess what you've been finding all along the way? Probably death, destruction, and chaos, which is why you might find yourself in a place like this today. Because you have problems upon problems and problems, and God says it's because you've been following your old ways. Come and follow me. Take on my yoke. It's easy. It's light. Come and follow me. Wherever I go, there are streams of life. Wherever I go, there is new life waiting for you. There's a new heart. I've come to take away your old heart and give you a new heart. And maybe for you today, you've been at church for a long time, and maybe your, your heart's just grown kind of cold and passionless. And I want to wake you up today. I want God to wake up your hearts. You know, God could bring a revival at any time. God could bring a revival at any time. And you know what the way he'll do it is not through all of our circumstances. It's through our hearts. And he wants to wake up your hearts to a passion for him. He wants you to have a deep and utter passion for him. Not, not of the things of this world, not to build a bigger empire for yourself, but man, to just build God's kingdom. And what we need is for our hearts to be set afire again for God. For God to do something fresh in our lives, for God to do something new so that we can worship Him and Him alone. Not our treasures, not our Bitcoin, not our stocks, but worship God. Friends, I want to invite you to that. To make your lives about worshiping for God. Look, today, like, as we enter into this time of worship, I just want to encourage you, man, worship to God. This is what your hearts need right now, to be woken up. It's to just think about him. You've been, you know why you're so stressed out and tired? It's because you're building your kingdom. That's why you're tired. That's why you're stressed out. You're stressed out because you're trying to build your kingdom. You're build your little old kingdom. And God's like, hey, hey, all I ask of you is to feast and to worship with me. Come and eat and dine with me. That's all I want. When you come into the sanctuary, friends, do you realize that your accolades mean nothing? It doesn't matter what college you went to. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter what kingdom you built. Here, everyone is equal because of Christ, what he's done on the cross. 
And isn't that such a relief? Oh, gosh, whether I succeed or fail, it doesn't matter because my job is to just enjoy God and glorify Him forever. That's it. So let this worship time be a time where we wake up our hearts, where God does something fresh in our lives. Let me pray for us. Lord, Father, I want to begin this time with just a word of confession, Lord. God, I know for me in my little world, God, I want you to build my kingdom, God. I want you to work for me, Lord. And I repent and I confess of that, Lord. I repent, Lord, that sometimes I don't want you. I want your stuff, Lord. God, I know for me, sometimes even in my life, God, it is dry. And yet, God, we know that you desire a fresh breeze in all of our lives. And so, Lord, we come in repentance, Lord. We come in repentance, Lord. We're sorry for neglecting you. We're sorry, God, that we found you burdensome. But, Lord, we repent and we say, Lord, we want you. We desire you. Holy Spirit, would you come now and waken up our hearts? Would you give us a fresh sense of what you're doing in our lives? Lord, we pray for those individuals right now, God, who are suffering from depression, anxiety, God, from just an old heart, God. And, God, we ask that you give them a new heart. Lord, we pray for our non-Christian friends who are worshiping with us today. We pray, God, that you would help them to see, God, just how real and good you are. And, God, would you give them a new heart today, Lord? God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. We trust you. We give it over to you, Lord, and we pray this on your son's holy and precious name. Amen.